Sounds great. Hey, thanks for stopping by for another episode of Appalachian Shine. This is the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. I'm JC, your usual host. And uh, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, thanks for joining us again today. We have a very exciting show. We have a, uh, a really interesting guest here, Russell Johnson, who is an author uh, of an upcoming book coming out that is, I cannot wait to read it. It's going to be one heck of a harrowing um, taste of Appalachia. Uh, but uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Russell Johnson. I appreciate you coming on board here today. Um Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're down in Raleigh, Durham, but you're from West Virginia. That's right. Um, I'm uh, originally from Cross Lanes, uh, you know, just outside Charleston, which is it's now known for the the casino, obviously. Um, yeah. But uh, I moved. I moved away before that was there. I, I remember when they first kind of built the the dog track there. But I oh, moved wow. to okay. Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah mostly uh, grew up there, and then went back to uh, West Virginia University for school, uh, which is where I, I met my wife, who's from Bluefield. Um, but most of my family is from Southern West Virginia. Uh, you know, I have uh, uh, several aunts and my grandmother, grandparents lived in Mercer County and uh, my parents grew up in McDowell County. They're both from war, went to, to Big Creek High School, you know, which uh, of Rocket Boys, October Sky fame. So, did um, so West Virginia. So I always say I'm, I'm part of the West Virginia diaspora. You know, there's a lot of us out there in other places. There's there's a huge West Virginia contingent here in North Carolina. You know, we get together to watch view games and it's it's not unusual to have 100 200 people you know there doing it so oh, wow that uh, yeah, although all the way down yeah, to so Raleigh, although i don't live in west virginia it's still very much a part of of who i am well wvu uh, I, I saw where you were a graduate of wvu and uh of course that's that's one of the uh, you know biggest universities here in appalachia and there's such a long history because growing um we were talking before we started recording that you get to bluefield often and that's maybe about 45 minutes from me uh, I'm here in Richlands, Virginia, and um, there's such a I, I miss the rivalry between West WVU and Virginia Tech, where they used to play every year. That yeah. was so yeah. fun when it was back in the Big East, you know. And then, um, but yeah, I guess football's changed, landscape changed, but it's great to see so many local fans. I had no idea you would have that many people like gathered in one place watching WVU games down in, down in North Carolina down there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's in the, the Raleigh-Durham area. I, I think, you know, in Charlotte, it's you could probably multiply that by, you know, two or three times. So there's a lot of a lot of West Virginians have gone to places where there's some economic, you know, opportunities uh, not too far from there. So you um you have a book coming out on May 26th, and I can't wait to read this. It's called The Moonshine Messiah. And I want to talk a little bit about the book. But before we get into the book, you, you've been doing... um you've been writing short stories and I noticed you had some couple of interesting awards. Uh, one of them um, I wanted to bring up was the, it's kind of a big deal, the Pearl S Buck award. And for people listening who may not know what that is, um, Pearl S Buck, <clears throat> I'm a writer also. So I follow a lot of these types of awards that go around and Pearl S Buck, she was awarded uh, a Nobel prize for literature um, and some of her early work. I think it was in the late 1930s and, she was uh, wrote really an epic portrayal of like poor life among Chinese uh, peasants, right? And the life and the biographies of her parents. And so she was actually awarded a Pulitzer Prize and Nobel Prize in literature. And she was uh, very much um, you know, an activist, a humanitarian. So that's a, actually a pretty big deal getting that award. Um, tell us a little bit about that award and what you got it for. 
Yeah, and uh, just to echo what you're saying, I mean, and if you're a writer from West Virginia, I mean, I think like the biggest honor you could get is an award that's named after Perlis Buck. And uh, this was, it was uh, awarded by the West Virginia Writers uh, Association. And um, it was for a short story that I wrote that's called uh, True Crime. It was published in uh, Mystery Tribune uh, back in like February, March of this year. And uh, it's a story that's set in a fictionalized Southern West Virginia about sort of a uh, historic honor killing and it's you, you know true crime podcasts have become kind of all the rage lately and yeah i always kind of i always kind of joke that it's like um you know non-fiction trying to sound like fiction and so this is fiction trying to sound like non-fiction that's trying to sound like fiction and so anyway that's uh that's the one that, that won the award um yeah so that's uh, you know to get an award from you know perlis buck where it's a pretty big deal um you also won an edgar awards uh Robert L. Fish Prize. Well, what was that for? That was actually the first story I ever wrote. It was called Chung Ling Su's Greatest Trick. And it was back, you know, when I was really trying to kind of teach myself how to be a writer. You know, I had spent several years trying to write a novel that wasn't going anywhere. And so, you know, several people said, you got to really focus on short stories for a while to, to learn your craft. And, it, you know, it was a, a story that I um, submitted to Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, which is, uh, you know, a very well-known magazine is very hard to get into but they have a department of first stories which is for people who had never published a story before and they selected it and uh you know I, to be honest i really had never even heard of the edgar awards at that point i just got uh an email one day you know about a year later saying you won this uh, robert l fish prize which they give out wow. for uh, the best short story um, by a new author and so it was great. I got to go to, you know, New York City and meet all these, you know, real, real writers and kind of pretend like I was one for a little bit. Okay. Um, but it did kind of taint, you know, my view of things, you know, for a little while, I was thinking, man, this writing thing's kind of easy. You know, you just write a story, send it out, win an award. Um, but I, you know, that after that, I had a good decade or so of, of the normal trials and tribulations of a writer trying to break in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I'm 10 books in and I'm still waiting on lightning to strike in my bottle, you know, so now, I wanted to ask, I noticed that you had your degree, uh, WVU, before you went on to become an attorney and get your JD degree was, uh, what was uh, English and literature? Uh, uh, double point? major, I'm oh, sorry, double major in English and history. And then I'm history, okay. creative writing. Yep. What, what actually made you want to start writing short stories? Um, well, you know, I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, um, but I... Uh, I also knew that I didn't want to be a starving writer. And so I decided to go to law school, you know, instead of doing the MFA thing after college. And I got, I really got into being a lawyer. You know, I felt uh, like it was a calling and I was able to push the writing bug aside for a good long time. Um, but after a while, you know, I think being a lawyer just kind of became so stressful that 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 need for that creative outlet and that release and escapism just got to a point where I couldn't deny it anymore. And I, I really flipped a switch and became very very much motivated into becoming a writer and it's one of those things where a lot of people say they'd like to do it someday but it's not something you can just immediately be good at you know it takes a long time to kind of learn yeah. your craft and and short stories i think are really the way to do that because it's something that's manageable it's something you know doesn't take years and years to complete uh and so i i spent you know a good part of the last decade or so focusing on short stories and then kind of getting back to the novel writing, which this will be my debut novel uh, coming out here in just about a week. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you did that the right way. I did it backwards. It took me 20 years to get my first book right. And then I started writing short stories and really, really enjoyed that. And I'm still doing that to this day. But uh, 
tell us a little bit about the about the book about the story it's um this this actually sounds pretty um intense but so the the protagonist of the story is sheriff mary beth kane who is a uh, lady who grew up in southern West Virginia and kind of a criminal family, and she rebelled and, and went by going and marrying the sheriff of a neighboring town. And when he dies, she steps in to take over as sheriff. And so her life is very much complicated by the fact that she still maintains ties to sort of the local hillbilly crime syndicate run by her family, um, so much so that she's under uh, kind of a federal corruption investigation. When she gets a visit from her old high school boyfriend, who's now a, an assistant U.S. attorney, who says that he has worked out a deal that will wipe her slate clean, do, you know, put an end to the investigation, solve all her problems, if she'll just do one little thing, which is to go and arrest her brother. Who uh, Her brother Sawyer has become kind of a conspiracy guru. Uh, some say he's a prophet, some say he's a charlatan, but he's the leader of kind of a booming anti-government militia movement that's been causing, you know, causing the Fed's headaches. And so they want her to go and arrest him. And it's something she's not willing to do until her brother and his followers go and actually uh, blow up a, a federal courthouse. And, and at that point, it seems almost inevitable that there's going to be a bloody confrontation unless she can find a way to intercede and stop that. Yeah, this this sounds pretty harrowing. I, I, I cannot wait to get this on Kindle uh, in a couple of weeks when it comes out. One of the things I noticed, um, I, I was looking at just some of the reviews uh, early reviews coming out. Uh, Craig Johnson wrote a review. And if you don't know who Craig Johnson is, um, if, if you're listening, you're like, well, who is that? Uh, the Waltmire series or the Longmire series. Um, I I particularly, I, I never read any of the Longmire series, but I saw Longmire on TV and I followed that series so closely. So um, the fact that this is a, you know, he, he wrote, um, actually I had the quote up, and it somehow just disappeared off of my uh, off of my screen here. I wanted to actually here it is by Craig Johnson. Like the illegitimate child of justified and sons of anarchy, the moonshine messiah leaps off the page with rarefied air of gritty hillbilly realism. That is incredibly high praise from a very successful author and one of the I think great storyteller, great show. Um, how do you feel with some of the reviews coming back so far? I, I couldn't be more pleased with, with how they've come back so far, and especially with Craig Johnson. Um, I'd been I'd read the Longmire books and been a fan of his uh, for a long time without knowing that he's actually from West Virginia. He's originally from Huntington. Oh. And uh, so, you know, you know, he writes the stuff out West where he lives now. But, you know, once I found that out, I was like, oh, I should try and get in touch with this guy and see if he'd be willing to look at the book. And, you know, lo and behold, he was, you know, to, to my to my pleasant surprise. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, the, the one. The one thing he said is that, you know, he doesn't read on the screen, so I'd have to send him a hard copy. So, you know, I quickly printed it out and mailed it out to his ranch in Wyoming. And, you know, really didn't know if I'd ever hear back from him, you know, but uh, a couple of months later, he sent me this great blurb and I just, I couldn't be more pleased by it. Yeah, I noticed uh, the bookshelf behind you. Um, what kind of things do you like to read? What kind of writing motivates you? Well, let me hear, I'll, I'll pull down some... I'll pitch some of my friends here. These are all, I'm, I'm really lucky living where I do in Durham, North Carolina. There's sometimes we call it the North, North Carolina, the writing estate. Uh, Cause there's just a lot of great writers. There's a great writing yeah. community. And so these, these are all books from people that I'm in critique groups with, uh, you know, so I, I sit and workshop things with them. Uh, what lies beneath JG Heatherton. 
great. This is great. great. If, you like, if you like Southern Fiction, It Dies With You by Scott Blackburn came out last year. Uh, this is one I predict is going to be like an Edgar finalist next year. It's Eric Pruitt, who's one of the best writers I know, called Something Bad Wrong. And this is actually based upon a, a true crime podcast that he did. That's If you like serial, check this out. It's very similar. Okay. Um, my friend J.M. Rosinski wrote this. It's like a, a time travel. It's not quite YA, but it would appeal to younger audiences. It's like if um, it's like the, the framers from the Constitution are like brought back into modern day. And there's sort of like a Bill and Ted's adventure sort of element oh, to it. All right. Yeah. And then this last one's very, very, very different. My friend. Uh, Lynn Fairchild Hawks writes Gritty YA. This is about like a young um, teenage journalist who's dealing with issues of like bullying and sexual harassment and all kinds of things that I think a lot of a lot of high school age kids would really like. So those are, you know, I read a lot of big authors too, but I, I'm lucky to have a lot of uh, writer friends that I, I spend a lot of time reading their stuff. So I kind of see the up and coming people, you know, before they've they've made it big. Now I'm also a member of a Appalachian Authors Guild, and it's really interesting see so many independent writers that aren't, you know, that don't, that don't have, you know, big contracts with publishing companies and that continue to practice their craft and really write some great things. <clears throat> um, when you were younger, I guess college age, and uh, I don't know if you were like me, but just like pouring through books and reading a lot, what inspired you back then? So, you know, the first ones that I really fell in love with were the Tolkien books as a young person. I went yeah. through a big, big <laughs> Hobbit phase. Um, and then uh, certainly uh, legal thrillers, you know, I joke and say John Grisham is probably the reason I became a lawyer. I, I love John Grisham and Scott Turow books so much. Uh, in college, I, I went through a big Kurt Vonnegut phase. I love Kurt yeah. Vonnegut books. Um, but, you know, probably my my all time favorite is Elmore Leonard. And so you, you if you like Elmore Leonard, I think you'll see a lot of his influence in my writing. Uh, certainly his Raylan Givens character was an inspiration for the Sheriff Mary Beth Kane character. Um and then there's a lot of, you know, current big writers now, like, you know, Michael Connolly, Ace Atkins, uh, Gillian Flynn, Karen Slaughter. Uh, those are all people that I I always look to and, and think, man, that's 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 the goal. That's the kind of writing I'm trying to to get to. So I was hoping maybe you could read a little excerpt of something, one of your writings, whether it's the current book coming out or something in the past. Um, what do you what do you have for us today? So I thought what I'd do, since I've never had a chance to read this one before, is, is the one that won uh, the Perlis Buck Award. I thought I'd read just a couple pages from that, which yeah, is um, true crime. Um, you know, I could read uh, part of the the novel, but, you know, it's, it's not exactly G-rated. I'm not sure what your profanity policy is on that one. So I, I think this one might be a better. I, I don't know if we have a profanity policy out here. <laughs> Whatever, really. I guess as long as you don't drop F-bombs, I guess we're all right. Yeah, so I don't want to be the one to set the record, so I'll, I'll do a couple pages of this one. Okay. All right. The Blood. It's been 70 years, but that's the thing Frances Langley still can't get out of her mind. My mother and I and a couple other ladies from the neighborhood were asked to go clean up after. The mine, the mine owned the house, after all. and needed to get ready for whatever new physician they were going to bring in. So we set to washing up all the blood in the kitchen where Doc Powell shot his wife. Scrubbed and scrubbed. But there was one spot that was so bad, they eventually had to paint over it. I heard later on that whenever the new doctor's wife would mop a few times, it would start coming back. So they had to repaint about once a year. Francis sits on her front porch swing, enjoying the crisp mountain air as we listen to the soft buzz of early evening cicadas. 
Her current home is just three houses down from the one where she grew up in this bucolic coal town of Mapleton, West Virginia. The octogenarian looks every bit the prototypical Appalachian grandmother, a mama, with white hair and a face weathered by a lifetime of hard work. She wears a baggy, solid white t-shirt and light blue pedal pushers. Her voice is stern, but with a twang of moonshine and bluegrass, as she says, it was like the house itself wouldn't let you forget. What happened on that fateful day back in 1948 is still a matter of debate. What is known for certain is that the local physician, Dr. Josiah Doc Powell, shot and killed his wife, Susan, a young mother just 28 years old. The question swirls to the motive. To this day, some still view it as a semi-acceptable form of honor killing. A respected professional who'd returned home from a long day of work to discover his wife in the midst of an affair. Others say it was a cold-blooded execution by a violent man whose pride and standing was threatened by a spouse seeking a divorce. Frances is firmly in the latter camp. She was just a girl playing outside after school on that October afternoon, a time when the days had grown brutally short down in the hollers. The shadows were halfway up the mountainside, masking the autumn splendor of red and yellow leaves. That's when I heard the screams, Frances says. When she looked down the street, she saw a ruddy face she knew well, perhaps the first one she'd ever laid eyes on, since Doc Powell was the physician who delivered her, along with all the other miners' kids of Frances's generation. Rather than bringing life into the world on this day, however, blazing in Doc Powell's eyes was a determination to snuff one out. You could always tell when Doc was about to get mean. He had this vein that would pop up in the middle of his forehead, and he'd flare out his nostrils like a bull. Francis watched that expression as Doc Powell yanked, shoved, and eventually dragged his wife Susan, clutching a fistful of her curly brown hair. All the while, Susan kicked and screamed and struggled to hold on to their infant son, Ben, who wailed in her arms. He's going to kill me, she yelled. He was. The entire crowd of bystanders knew it, as Doc Powell's proclivity for violence was legendary throughout McCray County. Yet no one successfully intervened. Few even tried. They all just stood and watched, Francis says, recounting what was essentially a death march. Doc Powell forced Susan inside their home, then emptied two pistols full of 38 caliber bullets into the young mother. It was a time when people didn't get in between husband and wife, Francis explains, and the way most folks thought back then a woman was basically her husband's property. It's at this point that Francis's younger brother Richie speaks up. He lives an hour's drive away in Jasper Creek, but has come to offer his two cents. A retired miner, Richie wears a red and black flannel shirt with faded blue jeans. His thinning white hair is slicked by pomade, and he has a wad of mail pouch tobacco filling his cheek. Richie explains he was too young to remember the actual event, but spent his career working the old Wango mine, where Doc Powell's escapades were still frequently discussed. To understand Doc Powell, you got to know what it was like in those days, Richie says. It's just a violent time. Mine accidents were common. Guys constantly coming back maimed or not coming back at all. Richie pauses to fire a black jet of tobacco juice into a nearby spittoon. It leaves a trail of it clinging to his chin stubble. Every time those guys went underground, they knew they were rolling the dice. So they lived life like they were on the front lines. Lots of drinking, carousing, and brawling to handle the stress. Got to where each little holler had its own watering hole where the guys would get drunk and fight to blow off steam. And Doc Powell was part of all that, see? And despite his education, they say he was the meanest son of a bitch of them all. Probably should have been a prize fighter, but spend the weekends beating guys, then turn around Sunday and patch them up so they'd go back to work. No, stop there. One, one little swear word. No F-bomb, so. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. Now, where can people find that? At? Where, can, where can we get that? Uh, this one is available on Amazon for Mr. Tribune, uh, issue number 19. Okay. Is this up on your website also? 
yeah, it's also my website. Uh, my website's uh, russellwjohnson.com. Um, I always say you got to use the W because if not, if you Google Russell Johnson, you'll get the professor from Gilligan's Island. Okay. That's, that's not me. Okay. Yeah. I'm just uh, pulling your website up, man. I see Mystery Tribune. Uh, when people buy from your website, are these signed copies? Uh, they're not, but if you message me, I'll be happy to send you a sign. A signed okay. Copy. Um, now, you went through a company called Shotgun Honey for um, uh, the Moonshine Messiah. Uh, what the. What is it about them that made you want to go through there? So Shotgun Honey is, is great. If, if people haven't heard of them, you should really check them out. Um, if, if you're someone who's been trying to write short stories in the crime genre, you know about Shotgun Honey. I mean, they've, they've been around for, I don't know, 12 years or so. And they're kind of, for a long time, were sort of the premier flash fiction place. And they were known as being very notoriously difficult to get published there. Uh, in part because they had such a strict word count restriction. You know, stories can only be 700 words maximum. And it's, oh. if you've ever tried, it's tough to tell a story in 700 words or less. Yeah. And um, they had several other founders, but the guy who has continued on and runs it, Ron Earl Phillips, is based in Charleston, West Virginia. And he's just, he's the best cover designer. He's, he's just a great graphic artist. Everything they, they do just looks great. And they've really, um, in my opinion, have become kind of like, you know, like the best of like triple A baseball, you know, it's like the, the place where you find like the writers that, you know, they may not be household names yet, but they're the kind of guys that are, a, a good number of them are going to go to the show. I mean, they, they're going to get called got out. A lot yeah. Of, yeah. A lot of great writers are, are being published there right now. Yeah. So that, that's really interesting stuff. So I guess all this will be on Amazon also. Um, so the book comes out on Friday, May 26th. I guess it'd be paperback, Kindle, audio. Are you doing audio? Audible I don't have plans for audio just yet. It'll definitely be paperback and ebook to start. Okay. I did want to ask though. I mean, the you got the book coming out. It's it's a really exciting time. Are, are you planning any kind of release parties? Uh, anything that uh, people can go to? Yeah, I, I'm going to do a big release party on uh, June 7th at uh, my friend Eric Pruitt. He's going to do it with me as well as uh, Lynn Hawks with her book. Okay. Uh, you know, I figured I may not have enough people show up, so I better invite good writers who, who have fans to do this with me. And we're doing it at Eric Pruitt's uh, bar called Yonder, which is in Hillsborough, North Carolina. It's kind of it's a literary bar. So it's like a place that's known for doing doing readings. And, you know, I figure, you know, the more people drink alcohol, the better my writing will sound. So that's what sounds like at. a bar I need to visit. <laughs> so if yeah, I'm absolutely there, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully going to get down to like a. Uh, Traveling some of the East Coast, maybe later on this fall, I'll look for that bar as I go through. Absolutely, there. you should check it out. Now, um, another question I wanted to ask before you know, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're you're busy, but um, so now you've got the book finished. Are do you just kind of sit back and kind of like enjoy it, or have you moved on to maybe the next story in your head? You're already moving on a little, or I've actually already finished what uh, the sequel, and I, I'm kind of plotting out the third one in my head right now. Uh, and then I've, I've, I've got a, a legal thriller that's totally unrelated to these that I have a, an agent who's who's subbing that out right now. So I've always got several different projects kind of in different okay. stages of completion. Okay. So Moonshine Messiah is going to be the first of the trilogy, possibly. I hope so. That's right. the plan. That's really exciting. I appreciate you coming on and sharing this, uh, this story. And I don't think it's going to be long before you're a household name with a story like this. It just... For whatever reason, that story when you when I was reading it just it just really resonated. It's one of those that uh, anybody who's a fan of mystery, I don't care where you're from, is going to probably enjoy a story like this because that whole family element um, is, is 
pretty uh, intense. Uh, well, thank so. you so much. And, and thank you, you know, for all that you do to support Appalachian mm -hmm. literature and culture. That's really great. Yeah, we do love to have writers on as often as we can and, and, and promote events and in, in throughout the region. And uh, yeah, um, for those of you who are listening or watching, make sure you go to russellwjohnson.com and you can buy books uh, there or uh, on amazon.com. And uh, don't forget to visit us online at supportappalachia.org. And um, make sure you share our link with others if you support our mission in the region. And uh, Russell, I certainly appreciate it. Um, you're welcome back anytime. I mean, there's so many great uh, Appalachian artists out there that, you know, even if it's something, if you want to come on and do a book review of another artist, another writer, um, I, I love highlighting uh, just the amazing work. Um, it's uh, I'm of the opinion it's it's our artists and our writers that define who we are as a culture, not just now, but going forward and define our past in a way through Absolutely. Uh, you know, memoirs and so forth. So it's, it's an amazing thing that um, it's very important work that our artists do in our region. So it's great to support that. Um, where can people find you on social media if they want to follow you somewhere other than the website? Do you have any social media? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook. So I've got a, a Russell uh, W. Johnson uh, author, official author page. And then I've got my personal page, Senator Russell Johnson. And then um, uh, on Twitter, um, my handle is at RWJESQ. And I always have to tell people that's a joke because I used to try to tell my wife she had to call me Esquire after I became an attorney. And she obviously would never do that. So yeah. that, that's my Twitter handle. One of the things I noticed was kind of funny. Um, and I'm trying to find where I found this on your website. Maybe it was under the about me section. You do like you have a sense of humor here. It says, uh, you hold an undergraduate degree in English and history with a minor in creative writing from West Virginia University and a Juris Doctor from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And in quotes or in parentheses, seriously, he really holds them. He gets those diplomas down off the wall at least once a day and struts around, showing them in people's faces, saying, how you like me now, suckers? <laughs> so, it's, I mean, just do, do you weave your sense of humor through your writing as well? Yeah, I, I try to. Um, okay. And uh, that's one of the things. I mean, I, I think I grew up on Quentin Tarantino movies where I have sort of this odd sense of like dark events mixed with, with humor. So that's certainly so the, the book. The Reservoir Dog in you comes out. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hey, yes. Hey, I certainly appreciate your time. And uh, thanks again, everybody, for following along. And make sure you pick up his book next week. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of Appalachian Shine. We'll see you on down the road.